Our reading is from uh, the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. And I wonder, can we read it together? It's up on the screen. As for you, writes Paul, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Amen. I wonder how many of you saw President Obama at that gathering together with those people whose relations and family had been shot by that lone student gunman. Have any of you seen that clip of him singing Amazing Grace? Any of you at all? Who? Somebody at the back? Yeah. Yeah. Wasn't it? I found it deeply moving. I really did. And uh, if that... It was wonderful, wasn't it? Um, and I would commend to you that, you know, I don't know how much you dabble in YouTube or whatever. There are some fabulous things on it. But you need, you need, before the end of today, to find that out on YouTube and just listen to Obama as he just joins in and sings Amazing Grace with this congregation. Deeply, deeply moving. And grace is a huge, huge subject, isn't it? We, a few Fridays ago, uh, we went up to see uh, some of Janet's friends in Ottery St. Mary, and we had missed the Odbins Theatre Company production of Amazing Grace which they had at St. Michael's Church in Somerton. Did anybody go to that? Shame on you, all of you. Anyway, we went there on that Friday, but we knew that it was on a few weeks later at Ottery St. Mary, where Janet's friends are, and they're very much involved, two Christians, with their local parish church. And the Odmans Theatre were there that Friday evening, so we went over to them, and we saw uh, this play, this drama of Amazing Grace. It was about an hour and ten minutes. And it was brilliant. It was written by one of the young... Uh, young students who work with them called Ellie and there were just five people did this five people did this whole story of John Newton you know the slave captain uh, who was converted and uh, actually carried on running slave ships but he carried on knowing that they needed to be ordered you needed to be kind to the people that you were taking etc etc 
until William Wilberforce got hold of him and said, hang on, John, slavery shouldn't be happening at all, you know. And, and that was another stage in his life. But it was wonderful to see this story of John Newton, Amazing Grace, performed in this church by just five people. And it was brilliant. It was really, really good. And uh, we all have our sort of thoughts about this word, grace. One of the things that I grew up with in my early Christian life was this G-R-A-C-E, you know, God's riches at Christ's expense. It's a very familiar phrase, isn't it, to describe what grace is all about. God's riches at Christ's expense. And that expense, of course, was the cross and his crucifixion. And then came the glorious resurrection. But grace is at the very heart of our salvation and our life in Christ. Paul says that in verse 8 of this reading. It is clearly the unmerited favor of God. It's like somebody giving you a wonderful, wonderful gift that you simply don't deserve. Okay? And you accepting it. That's the key. You accepting it. It is completely and utterly the unmerited favor of God. It also expresses, as we have done in our singing this morning, and in this reading too of Paul's, it also expresses the great kindness and love of our Heavenly Father for each one of us. No matter what circumstances we find ourselves in, no matter what role or stage in life we are, no matter what level we are in so-called society, that kindness and love of God is expressed in this grace, this unmerited favor. And uh, what, does, um, what does Titus say as well? Listen to what Titus says in his, Paul's little letter to Titus. Uh, he says this, Titus 3 verses 4 to 7. He says this. <clears throat> it says, But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. And Paul says the same thing here in his letter to the Ephesians. Yeah, so grace is defined clearly and given by our Savior. Now we need to understand something about grace too, and that is that the nature of God himself our God is holy. He is absolutely perfect. He is without blemish, sin, shade, or anything at all. He's holy. The scriptures are full of God's nature and his holiness. And we're called as well to be holy, as your heavenly Father is holy. That's a big, big one, isn't it, as well? But we need to understand this before we can appreciate what grace is all about. That this is a holy God. He hates sin, but he loves the sinner. He is perfect. And by the very nature, by God's very nature, he just can't even abide sin near or within his realm at all because he's holy. Yet we have this fact. 
It is God himself who's provided the way out for us. This holy God looking down upon us, his unholy people, he's provided a way out for us. He himself has provided the solution to our lost and our fallen state. God himself has provided the rescue mission, as it were, for the whole of mankind and indeed for creation itself because creation will be renewed at some point one day as well. And that's why Jesus came into the world so that the world, that's you and that's me, might be forgiven and saved through him. In Romans uh, 5, it talks about God being in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. I love the word reconciled. Reconciled, when I started off at 18, uh, I was in local government and I was in the treasurer's department, you know. And uh, at the end of the day, you had to reconcile, didn't you? You had to make sure that that bit was equal to that bit and that bit there balanced out that bit and everything else. And that it all came to a fruitful conclusion. I was telling Janet that once I was in the, on the rent counter, I had a t we had a turn about once every six weeks where we had to go on the rent counter and, and people came in with their rent card and you did it through the duplicate posting and everything else. And I was about five pounds short at the end of the day and I was down and uh, I couldn't reconcile what had come in and what was written down on the things you see. And we actually went to the house of the person we thought it was and they said, oh no, I've got my da -da 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 and everything else. So I ended up paying five pound in to Bootle Corporation <laughs> because my accounts for the day were not reconciled. They weren't brought back into the position that they should have been in the first place. And that's what it really means. It means us coming back to our Heavenly Father in the situation as it was way back with Adam and his first creation when things were really good and perfect in that relationship. And that's all gone because of sin. But God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, bringing back his creation to himself. And this was all down to grace. God's loving kindness and unmerited favor to his creation, to you and to me. So, what a difference it makes when we accept God's undeserved love and favor. It's radical. It is life-changing. Uh, it's astonishing. Um, uh, we have this, this word conversion. Uh, and we have lots of words to describe this. And it really means a complete turnaround in our lives when we come to know and realize the grace of God and what it can mean to us in Christ. And Paul himself makes this really clear and dramatic, even in this portion of Scripture. He actually tells us that once, once before we knew about this grace, we were dead, dead in our trespasses and sins. That's awful, that, isn't it? We were dead in our trespasses and sins. And right through to, to verse 4, where he says in that same passage, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ. So we've gone from death in our sins to life in Christ 
Remember, Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it it's all, in all its fullness. I think that's the J.B. Phillips version of it, to have life and have it in all its fullness. That's what it's talking about here. This is the power and the effect of God's grace upon the individual. These things are, as Paul says, the incomparable riches of his grace. It's like a treasure trove. By grace are we saved. It's a gift from God, writes Paul. And of course, the amazing thing too is that we still have that astonishing, strange thing called free will. And although this is a wonderful, wonderful gift, we're surrounded by people who don't want to know about it. It's rather like the, the guys, you know, who stand sometimes... I've never come across one of these, but I've seen them on the news occasionally, where they stand in some um, shopping mall with £20 notes giving them out, you know, because they've just won the lottery and they just want to do it, you know. I'm, I'm still looking for the shopping mall where somebody's doing that, you know what I mean? But I've seen it, you know, on the television, and people are walking past them. You know, poor. It's too good to be true. If it's too good to be, you know, they say, if it's too good to be true, then it's not true. All of that business. But, you know, that's, grace is like that. It's completely unmerited favor. It's something that is a free gift from God for those who would want it. But there are so many folk around us who either don't know about it or know about it and don't want it. Because I can get on with my life perfectly well myself. I don't need anybody interfering in my life, particularly this God person at all. And that's a challenge for us, isn't it, as God's church? How many of you have seen Les Miserables? Hands up, those who've seen Les Miserables. Yes, good. You haven't seen Les Miserables? Wonderful. Bite the bullet and think, you know when you think, how can I watch a movie which is all singing? That's what I thought. I thought that, and you as a guitar player, you, you know, you should be going to watch this. It's musical. And, uh, but, it, of course, it's based on the original novel. And I went to the cinema with a friend, and I thought, I'm not going to enjoy this. I enjoyed the story and the novel, because my mother read it when I was very young. And um, it was fantastic. It was absolutely brilliant. It really was. But the story is phenomenal, because it's based on grace. On grace. I went to a series of Lenten studies at the uh, Methodist Church in Glastonbury and uh, it was four Wednesday mornings and it was all based around Les Miserables and they had little clips from the film and then you had little questions that you talked about in your little groups and everything and it was smashing it really was but there's that marvelous scene where Jean Valjean having been taken in by this kindly priest and the priest knows he's escaped he knows he's an escape prisoner but he takes him in and he feeds him and he looks after him and everything else. And in the middle of the night, Jean Valjean wakes up, puts all the silver and everything in a bag and heads off in the night. And the police catch up with him and they think, well, these are all church sort of items, this silver. We'll know where to go. So they go back to the priest and they say, this guy's stolen all your silver. And the priest says, oh, no, he hasn't. And the police go, well... And the priest says, oh, no, I gave that to him. That was a gift. That was a gift. And he said to Jean Valjean after that, he said, this is an opportunity for you to restart your life. And Jean Valjean just couldn't understand it. He couldn't understand how, in all his 
meanness and lowness and degradation and thievery and everything else that went with that, how this priest could be so kind and gracious to him. But it completely and utterly changed his life around. And when we follow the story of Jean Valjean in Les Miserables, we can see the dramatic effect that grace had upon his life, undeserved favor. And he lived with that all his life and it affected every aspect of his life after that. The other thing too about God's grace is it sustains us. It's not something that's a one-off where we accept Christ as Savior. We accept this unmerited favor and we bless God for it. But it's something that carries on, as it did with Jean Valjean, through our lives. It sustains us. It keeps us going in our Christian journey. And, you know, the Christian life is totally and utterly dependent upon the grace of God. Everything centers around that very fact. I've already mentioned this morning that all of us go through very difficult times, very difficult times um, in our lives. We can have disappointment, we can have bereavement, we can have hurt, we can have unemployment, we can have serious uh, sickness and illness. But, you know, that should be expected. You know, Jesus said to us, in this world you, sh- you will have tribulation. I love that word, tribulation, to you. It sounds like you're walking around with a big burden on your back, really. But he says, in this world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. And he overcame the world when he died on the cross and was able to do something about our sin and to be able to reconcile us back to our Heavenly Father. But you see, that is part of life. All of those things are part of life. We're not guaranteed a very free and easy and untroubled life. It's not going to be like that. And I would say that for some Christians, it's harder for some Christians than it is for those who don't have faith at all. But you see, the thing is that it's grace. It is the grace of God. It's that absolute knowledge through the Holy Spirit that God loves us and cares for us and is kind to us that actually keeps us going. That overcoming that Jesus talks about was the love and mercy of God. And it's constant. It doesn't change. It is constant. We change, but God never changes. And when we consider God's kindness and mercy to us, then we are enabled by God's Holy Spirit to show that kindness and mercy and compassion and love and hospitality to those around us. And that's what we're each called to do in our own particular circumstance, our own particular families, our own particular churches, our own particular relationships. We are called to show that love to those around us because of the grace that's been extended to us. And that, you know, includes, still includes, still includes the rejected, the poor, the marginalized, and the vulnerable. Very interesting, isn't it, this debate uh, going on at the moment about those dear people trying to get into England. You know, and even last night we were out uh, with friends for a meal and we were talking about that. They brought it up and said, you know, do you see on the news these guys trying to get in the lorries and all of this and da-da-da-da-da. And it really is difficult 
And if you'd have listened to uh, any questions yesterday on Radio 4, it was lovely to hear four people on the panel who didn't have any political axes to grind, probably because they're all off on holiday, the, the politicians, and they had four normal people on, I don't know. But I do endorse that we continue to pray for our leaders and governments and politicians. Um, and they agreed on many, many of the aspects of that uh, completely, the, these dear people who are trying to get into our country. And it is a problem, there is no doubt about it. But uh, I think in all of those difficult circumstances that the Holy Spirit calls upon us to be compassionate and to be empathetic and understanding. It must be really hard that your own situation in your own country becomes life-threatening. That people are moving out of the places they've been in for years and years with their families, their jobs, their and suddenly there's war all around them. It is just, you know, awful to think about particularly when we live in gorgeous places like this, like Somerset. Just the journey coming over here was beautiful, just through the countryside. They haven't got any of that stability or anything. So we have to show compassion, and we need to remember God's gracious kindness to us to be passed on to others as well. So finally, my fourth point is that that is the real challenge, isn't it, to Christ's people, the church. It's, it's about spreading and sharing this grace that we have received. That we have received. Let me read you something from, uh, from Peter's letter. This is what Peter writes in his, uh, in his first letter. It's 1 Peter 2. It's just two verses here. 1 Peter 2, verses 9 and 10. This is what Peter says. He says to us, You are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I think that's wonderful, really. I really do. And we know the state that the world is in. I'm not going to give you a litany of what's wrong with the world this morning. Just switch your television news on for 10 minutes, read your paper for 10 minutes, do whatever you do to find out what's going on in the world. It's an absolute mess, isn't it? Chaos in some places. In our prayers, we've, we remembered that the result of man's inhumanity to man you know, absolutely awful. But you know, it's a world which continues to need to know about the grace of God, uh, which is life-changing. It's a world which needs to see this grace in action and in the way we are Christ to those around us. I love at the end of one of the Anglican services, I think it could be the communion service, and our dear brothers and sisters in the Anglican community, they finish one of their ser services with, uh, to, to go out da -da -da -da, to serve the Lord. And there's a line which says, it is our duty and our joy. It is our duty and our joy. The Anglicans often get it right, you know. <laughs> Remember, they came up with Alpha. Oh, and they came up with Messy Church. Not badder. 
<laughs> I won't mention all the other. Anyway, um, but isn't that lovely? It is our duty and our joy, and it's our duty and our joy to show people that grace of God through our lives, but through our actions and what we do as well. As individuals and also as a community of God's people, the challenge is always to reach out to others, to share this wonderful gift that we've got with other people. No matter what strategies and structure the church uses, Alpha, Messy Church, Toddler Groups, Men's Breakfast, Holiday Bible Clubs, Cafe Services, Children's Work, whatever it is, Holiday Bible Clubs, Bible Weeks, whatever it is, the experience of God's grace and the humility that, brings, uh, that that brings into our life in Christ must be at the centre of what we do. Uh, let me read a little bit more from, from 1 Peter as I come to the end now. Uh, 1 Peter. I've taken the bookmark out. <laughs> let me find it. 1 Peter 5. Bear with me. Here we are. Yeah, 1 Peter uh, 5, from the second half of verse 5. Um, it says this. <clears throat> well, I like the first part of verse 5, by the way. Nothing to do with grace. It says, young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. Amen to that. <laughs> Even if the older ones don't know what they're talking about. Um, but 5b says this. All of you... Clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him for he cares for you. So with this grace comes a humility. We have no claim to boast. We've got nothing to boast about. We've got nothing to claim that we have done. What we have to do is boast, as Paul did, about Christ and what he has done in our lives. So, in conclusion, grace is at the core of our salvation. Grace sustains us in all aspects of our Christian walk, no matter what we're involved in, no matter what we're experiencing in. The church, that's you and me, needs to share this wonderful gift that we have freely received. And it needs to be shared with humility as well. No boasting at all. And I want to close with this, uh, a, a little section from this wonderful book. Haven't read this as well. Now you've got a lot of catching up to do now, haven't you? You've got YouTube, President Obama singing Amazing Grace. You've got Watching Les Miserables, if you haven't already seen it. Uh, and Philip Yancey's What's So Amazing About Grace. And this is just a wonderful, wonderful book. And I just want to finish with reading about um, grace-tinted lenses. Let me read this to you. <clears throat> How does a graceful Christian look? The Christian life, I believe, does not primarily center on ethics or rules, but rather involves a new way of seeing. I escape the force of spiritual gravity when I begin to see myself as a sinner who cannot please God by any method of self-improvement or self-enlargement. Only then can I turn to God 
for outside help, for grace. And to my amazement, I learn that a holy God already loves me despite my defects. I escape the force of gravity again when I recognize my neighbors also as sinners loved by God. A graceful Christian is one who looks at the world through grace-tinted lenses. So may our lenses always be grace-tinted. Amen.